On 3rd of October 2018, um, more than 200 million U.S. mobile phones in use, which were in use at the time, received a presidential alert notification on their mobile. And this alert produced a tone and it showed a message on the mobile that said, this is a test of the national wireless emergency alert system. No action is needed. This test is mandated in the US by a law passed in 2015. The American government is required every three years uh, to carry out this test, send this text message to mobile phones. The purpose is to ensure uh, that the US government emergency communication systems are working properly. So if there is a terror attack, they would use such a system. So they need to know it's working. Uh, if there's a missile attack, terrorism, or just a global disaster, they need to ensure uh, that they have systems ready to communicate to the public. Now, unlike standard natural disaster warnings, you cannot opt out of the presidential alert system, even the test for it. Uh, unless you switch off really the mobile on purpose or you block the signal. Now, but that would be foolish, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, we need such alert systems in life. We need to know that we can be reached uh, because all of us want to be warned of dangers, impending dangers in life. There's no one here who does not value their safety. All of us want to be safe and secure. The Bible, we can use many illustrations for the Bible. But one of the things that the Bible is, is that it is a presidential alert system. It is an active messaging system, uh, alert system sent by God to warn us of spiritual dangers in our lives. You close the Bible and you close yourself to the alert system. Uh, if full of, inside it, there's so many alerts with things going on in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk to you about an important danger alert that Jesus issued in the Bible to all his followers. It concerns the danger of false teachers. False teachers are, are, are people who claim to point people to God, but in fact, continuously lead people away from the truth of God. In fact, we've been dealing with this topic, we are dealing with this topic in our Bible studies, and we come across it just now. I was like, wow, look at that. Isn't that interesting? So we are going to look at it this morning, right? Now, during the time of Jesus, uh, the false teachers were religious experts. Uh, we, we have already met in Mark um, many times. They were called scribes. And these were learned men who spent all their life, all their hobby, studying the, old, the, law, of the, the law of God in the Old Testament. They would print out copies of the law that God had given them, and they would even write articles about it. But there were more than just sort of theological professors, really, uh, scribes uh, today, there's no equivalent to that. Because you see, the scribes combined the office of a theological professor, a teacher, a moralist, and a civil lawyer. So scribes would be at every conference, they'll be writing journal articles, but they'll also be sitting in the House of Lords if it was today. What they say there matters. If there's an issue of gun crime, you turn to the scribes. If there's an issue of, uh, of, of issues, what we talk about gender and, and marriage, they would define what the Bible says and what society should follow. They were an overarching, know-it-all type uh, experts. 
There's no equivalent of them today. Uh, the, if they issued a statement on something, society has to follow it. Now, in Mark 12, verse 38 to verse 40, Jesus is in his final public teaching. He's doing his final public teaching in the temple. And he warns his followers to be beware of this group of false teachers. Let's read verse 38 to verse 40 again. And in his teaching he said, <clears throat> Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, we are in the UK, right? Not ancient Israel. So you may think this warning is perhaps irrelevant to us, but actually it is relevant to us because it was relevant for the people that Mark recorded these words for, the people in Rome. So if it was relevant for the believers in Rome for whom the Gospel of Mark was written to, it is also relevant to us here in Bexley, living in our time. And in this passage, our Lord Jesus, who knows all about our lives, who knows all about the dangers we face in this world, wants us to be aware of false teachers. He says here. And there are two things I just want to share from this passage that Jesus is calling us to be beware of. First of all, beware of the deceit of false teachers. Beware of the deceit of false teachers. It is very easy for all of us to be deceived. You may sit here and think, oh, I can be very deceived, I'm very clever. But all of us are easily deceived. Do you know that a report published in 2013 estimated that 13 billion dollars is lost around the world to 419 advance fee fraud scams alone. Just that. 13 billion dollars is lost to that. Just for advance fee fraud schemes. Now imagine how much we lose from, from all other kinds of frauds, deceptions people do. Uh, we know that many people like deceiving others, don't we? So it is not a surprise that even among the people of God, there will be deceivers. That's what Jesus says there. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a preacher's make long prayers. Beware, Jesus says. Jesus is saying the scribes are false teachers. Why? Because they're too fast. That's why. It's a very interesting definition of false teaching Jesus gives us here. Because the definition really which isn't so much about what they're teaching, this is about how they are living. You need to note that. They believe one thing and do the exact opposite. And the two things Jesus flags up here uh, that, are, that, that, that they are deceitful about, that this, we need to watch out as believers uh, concerning these sorts of false teachers, uh, there are two things here. First of all, false teachers are deceitful because they are friends of the world. They're, everything they do is about being loved by the world and having the things of this world. If you see teachers who are all about that, being loved by everyone, being accepted by everyone, then you know you are looking at false teachers, no matter how theologically right what they are teaching. Because verse 38 to 39 tells us, Beware the scribes who like, who love in some versions, to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats 
in the synagogue and the places of honor feast. And yet you notice what else they're doing. They devour widows' houses and they cover it up with these prayers they make, with religious language, with theological expertise they have. When the Lord Jesus says the scribes like greetings in marketplaces, it means that they enjoy basking in the sunlight, if you like, of respect and public recognition. But it's not just the public. They love being at religious gatherings. They are sabbaths, they are conferences, which they organize, would imagine. They are there at the front, isn't it? They like to take the best seats in, the, in places of worship. What they're saying is that if it's a conference, they're at the podium. They're always the one holding the mic, and they always have something to speak. And of course, we are told there that they love honor at feasts, don't they? It indicates that what drives these people is a desire for comfort and ease. Where there's a party, they are there. But the party may be all right. It's just that they love comfort. They love ease. They love what the world loves. And Jesus says, beware of such individuals. Regardless of what theologically right they're doing, if a ministry... Or if people's disposition is towards the things of this world, no matter what they tell you, they are false teachers. Because what they teach, they reject by how they live. Now, in our day, the love of the world takes many forms, doesn't it? We all, of course, know we can spend the whole day here reminding ourselves of the terrible and shameless self-promotion of the charlatans on YouTube and TV. We all know about prosperity uh, forced prosperity teachers. At least I hope you know. And you, I hope you know the danger of that. I have in mind here the sort of Kenneth Copelands and Joe Austins and Paula Whites and TJ Jess and the countless African pastors. So we don't need to go through the list because we can just see their life. These are false teachers whose God is their belly. Choice mayor, those kinds of names, which you may, you may love in your private time, but when you look at what they teach and how they live, you see they reject the gospel. Many of these have amassed large wealth for themselves without shame, and many are constantly being chased by the law. They make a ridicule of the church when people look at them and say, that's not the church. People don't want to go to church when they look at some of these people. We know all about that, don't we? I hope we can tell, there's not much to debate, that's obvious, and, you know, we know about that. Well, we need to be reminded, but we know all about that. But there are also false teachers who claim to be evangelical, but yet want to champion immorality among the people. So we think of Steve Chalk and others, those people who would tell you that they're evangelical, but actually their theology is just completely unbiblical. We know all about such false teachers. And of course, there are many churches today which are compromising on what the Bible teaches on marriage and the sanctity of life, on issues of gender. Those, of course, are false teachers. The love of the world, of course, is also evident in pastors in our Reformed tradition. Because there are many pastors, even in our Reformed churches, who exist not to promote the agenda of Jesus, but to promote themselves before the world. Many have set up ministries with their own branded names on it, something that John the Baptist would never do. I don't think John the Baptist would ever have set up a website, www.johnthebaptist.com, do you? No, because he said, I must decrease and he must increase. 
Sadly, even some pastors now have their Bibles. You then study Bibles now in their own name. God's word with their brand on it. Why? It is the love for the world, isn't it? And when I think about this love for the world, it reminds us this is one of the reasons that there is now new pressure in the Reformed tradition in this country and in the U.S. for women to become preachers, contrary to the word of God. Why? The reason for that is that churches want to keep women on board. And they've concluded the best way to do that is to sign up to the worldly thinking on things like intersectionality and other such ideologies as, as critical theory and so forth. And looking at some of these things, they have concluded that the best way to do it is to allow women to become preachers so that we can keep them on board. That's just one example. Uh, even though the Bible tells us that, uh, that, that God has called uh, men to preach and lead as elders in the church. My point is that it is that because of our love for the world, that's why we compromise. And in fact, it is for this reason we are seeing in the UK at the moment that biblical teaching on sin now is being downgraded. You pick up books nowadays and you, you realize there is a redefinition of sin that's going on that, uh, that others are, are putting forward. We are now told that having sinful sexual desires is not sin at all. Only the acts of sin is sin. That's a redefinition. Why are they redefining that? Well, they're, redefin they're taking desires out because it's unpopular, you see. You see, many churches are so keen to grow, they don't practice any church discipline. Why? Because they want people, as many people on board. The Bible says we must practice church discipline, but they don't want to do that. They know what the Bible teaches, but they are disobeying. And Jesus is saying here, beware of the deceit of false teachers. We must always ask ourselves as a church, are we people that are veering towards loving the world or loving Christ? Secondly, notice there that false teachers, Jesus here says, show their deceit by camouflaging everything they do in this hypocrisy in elaborate religious practices that look good on the outside, but they are empty inside. Look at verse 40. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, Jesus is not against long prayers. In fact, I think my prayer was rather long this morning. <laughs> He's not against long prayers. In fact, Jesus himself prays one of the longest prayers in the Bible in John 17. The problem with false teachers, the problem is not for long prayers. The problem with false teachers is that they do not live out their long prayers. I mean, if you heard how they say, oh, God is this and God is that, you think that they are out there living on the streets for Jesus. There's an imbalance there between their piety, their, 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 their theology, which seems very rich, the way they express it, and their lack of living the gospel, living the word of God. Jesus is saying, false teachers, to remind you again, are not only those who teach wrong things. We all know all about that. We are studying that. It includes those who reject what they teach by how they live. It's so vital you get that. 
Some people teach wrong things, false teachers. But most of the condemnation Jesus focuses on, actually, in the gospel, his own focus on false teachers were the hypocrites, those who believe one thing and yet did the opposite. How we live matters, doesn't it? You see, when I got my first job in government, I came out of university, did this civil selection board, right? For two days, got my job, right? I was told I had passed. But to my shock, I, I, got, I got a phone call saying, oh, by the way, we need to do a credit check, right? Uh, before we take you on. You've done well, but we must do also a credit check. I thought, credit check? I just come out of investing. Do you think my credit is good? was good, right? And as I expected, I got a call and they said to me, we have your credit file. Uh, we have your, we've done a credit check and there's something strange on your credit file. Uh, I, won't, I won't go into it, but essentially they said you have failed the credit, the credit check. Uh, I guess there's a bank I owed a bit of an overdraft there that I hadn't bought it. Uh, long story, but, but God, God loves me deeply. They still took me on. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I've got my own thing with God, I guess, going on, but he, he showers me with such grace. They still took me on. They still took me on. But as I thought about that, my point is that in every area of, of life, our private life matters. This is why most employers do a CRB check. Why? Because they don't, you know, the boss doesn't want to hire you just in case you kill the previous boss, right? They have to check on your credit file that you're behaving yourself. And, and some employers do what? Credit checks, don't they? Because they, don't want, they may trust you with finances, uh, etc. And they just, it's not like they're credit scoring. They just want to make sure uh, you haven't been to court for bankruptcy or anything else like that. In the same way, Jesus is saying, look, the private, life, the private life of those who teach you, who hold responsibility in the church, matters. Check the personal life of anyone who teaches you the Bible. And if their lives do not match the truth, stay away, run away from them faster than we send bots. Now, I thought about that and I thought, how practical is that? Sometimes it's not, it is very practical if you belong to a local church. But it's not very practical if you don't belong to a, to a, to a local church. Of course, you just feed on YouTube. Uh, or you, um, you belong to a very large mega church. And I think this is one of the reasons why it is important that you not only belong to a local church, but make the teaching of the church your staple diet. Why do I say that? How are you going to know your popular YouTube preacher is practicing what he preaches when you do not know his life intimately. How are you going to know that? Yeah, John Piper is great, and another John, etc., right? But how do you know they're false teachers? By the first definition, you can rule them out that you know, yes, they're teaching theological language, but you can't be sure about the second definition that Jesus uses here, because you don't know their life. You do not know that by, whether by simply listening to them, you are camouflaging, you are helping them camouflage some inner hypocrisy. Because you are not there to hold them to account. If you are in a mega church of 2,000 people plus, how do you know you are not simply supporting the ministry of a hypocrite? Because you see, in a large mega church, you are hardly going to get to meet the pastor really regularly to know him and his family, etc. And therefore you are not going to be able to hold them to account. You cannot know. 
The only way for you to avoid the deceit of false teachers is to commit to a local church where you know people know you, you know them, and you can hold the leaders to account. You can go before God and say, I never supported a false teacher. Or if I did, I held him to account and we kicked him out, <laughs> right? <laughs> or I walked away based on this. You can, you can give a proper account on that great day. And so Jesus is warning all of us here, beware of the deceit of false teachers. Look out for those who love the world and look out for hypocrites. And do not sit under the ministry of hypocrites. You need to do that, false teachers. You need to do that because otherwise you'll be damaging yourself. And that is our second and final truth. So the first truth is beware of the deceit of false teachers. The second truth is beware of the damage of false teachers. The damage they do. Now, I don't know if you shop regularly at Amazon, right? But if you do, take the reviews you read on Amazon with a heavy pinch of salt, right? Well, why do I say that? Well, according to a report last year by Which Magazine, Amazon is flooded with fake five-star reviews. Uh, in fact, you know, often I get emails from people saying, oh, do you want to review this? I'm sure you also get those emails, right? And then they'll pay you if you reviewed that, right? Because most of the reviews on Amazon, frankly, are, are not legitimate. But thankfully, most of the fake reviews relate to things on there we can do without. I'm a, like headphones and fitness trackers. Maybe at the start of the year, you think you can't do without a fitness tracker, right? Well, well, most of the things, though, we can't do without. And so even though there are fake reviews there, it's probably not a big deal, really, uh, for most of the critical products, right? But imagine if the product was on Amazon was something that really mattered, like a gas cooker, right? We would not want a fake review, isn't it? We want to know this thing is reliable, this is safe, right? Because if we get it right, the deception from the reviews could have terrible consequences. Well, Jesus wants us to understand here that buying into false teachers will cause us more damage than any other deceptions we face in life. There are two ways here in which false teachers damage us. First of all, they damage us in this life by robbing us of our dignity and God-given resources. Look at verse 40 there. What do false teachers do? They devour widows' houses, we are told. They devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. You know, in Jesus' time, when a husband dies, it was normal for his widow to turn to the scribe. Okay, remember there were all purpose teachers, right? They would turn to them to help them organize the estate to see if there was any issues around it and ensure that that state was preserved. That is what Jesus means here. What Jesus means here is that what used to happen, rather I should say, is that the scribes, though, would sometimes make a claim over the house. They would say, this house is declared Coban. We've come across that phrase. It's devoted to God. Therefore, sorry, the widow, you can't have it. 
And they might do that fraudulently. They might say, no, your husband gave this to, 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 to the synagogue. And they'll just take that. Sometimes they'll just hoodwink them because they may be weak-willed um, widows, as it were. Essentially, they defrauded widows. And we have some stories from that time that give examples of this. They defrauded widows and they left them homeless and destitute. And in fact, this poverty that widows faced now caused some of them to be sexually exploited. They were robbed of their dignity. And so we see that what the scribe used to do is that, is that instead of honoring the people by selfless service, these false teachers robbed and stole the respect and financial resources of God's people. And Jesus is warning us that this is not just an issue for the scribes, it's something we need to be aware of as well as individuals, right? He's saying, be careful that we are not exploited by others in the name of God. Beware of the deceit of false teachers. Now, I recently watched a BBC Panorama, which alleges that many young people are being exploited by what appears to be a Christian cult. Spark Nation. You may have heard about all of that in the news last week. The allegations are many, isn't it? Against Spark Nation, they include piling debts on young people, encouraging them to engage in benefit fraud. There are bank frauds, the allegation of sexual abuse across ages. Many of them are trapped in these strangely named trap houses where they, are, they have been subjected to a lot of... Now, some of these are just allegations, but so many people have come forward. MPs were looking at it, at it this week. They were debating this issue. The Met have been having problems and because they have not moved fast enough, and issues have been raised that, you know, this is Bradford or whatever it is happening all over again where people are afraid to look into these issues because of the race of those involved, uh, etc. right? These young people, as I think about them, were, came to, to a church, they thought it was a church, they, came, they, they thought they were attending a safe place to meet the Lamb of God, right? only to be greeted at the door by wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They were devoured. The Spark Nation, sadly, issue is just the tip of the iceberg. And you see, many have suffered in churches at the hands of people who exploit them in the name of God. I have met many people who have suffered at the hands of leaders in churches, who have existed in a cult-like church, and they've actually even walked away from following Jesus. And some people actually are so scared by being in churches sometimes that they find it hard to commit to a local church. And so they'll just float from church to church because of the hurt they have suffered. Church abuse is real, isn't it? And in this passage, Jesus is talking about it. And Jesus is saying, I think, two things. First of all, he's saying, I know all about church abuse. I know there are wolves among the sheep. And I'm not blind to that. And if you've suffered to that, Jesus is saying, I'm there to care and provide for you because you're mine. I'm always there to care for you. So Jesus is flagging this up to encourage us. But Jesus is also warning us. You have a responsibility to be beware of the damage that false teachers do. So they damage us in this life, don't they? 
The second thing is that false teachers damage us. We need to be aware of the damage they do to us in the next life. That's the bigger damage. Notice here, the greatest danger is that they lead to damnation. Look at this 40. The final sentence there says, they will receive the greater condemnation. You know, the words in the original language literally mean that these false teachers will suffer abandoned judgment. And I think, it's not 100%, but I think it most likely means they'll suffer a greater degree of punishment also from God. Not just the fact that the, the judgment is fierce, but they will suffer a greater punishment. And we know the scripture in other places talks about the importance of that teachers will be judged more strictly. Well, the reason for God, for Jesus being so strong with his words, of course, Jesus is the one who's going to judge them. He's the judge. And he's saying they will suffer greater condemnation. Well, the reason for this is that the activity of these false teachers uh, does not just lead people away from the worship of God, right? Many people do that. All sin leads us away from God. What makes them different is that they do it in God's name. If you like, they're killing God's children in God's name. And Jesus is saying those who do that will suffer the greatest punishment in hell forever and on that great day. And he's also saying this to warn us, isn't it? Not only to remind, by the way, this reminds us that there is a day of judgment coming. And each one of us should ensure we are ready for that by having surrendered our lives to Christ. But Jesus also wants us to be sure here that we do not share in this condemnation by following false teachers. He says, do not share in their doom. Look, they will receive the greater condemnation. So therefore, verse 38, beware of them. Now, I am not saying if you are truly converted and find yourself somehow sitting under a false teacher, you will then suffer everlasting punishment. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And the question is, are you really his sheep? How do we distinguish sheep from wolves? But Rob's favorite question. I'm sure he could give us a, an hour on that one. How do we distinguish sheep from wolves? Well, I think there are many ways to distinguish, but I think it's by what they eat. I, I had to look at this 50 times, right? I wolves, I'm told the wolves, the experts on the internet tell me, wolves eat meat. They are carnivores, right? And sheep eat plants. They are heavy bones. If you are part of the flock of Jesus, you desire to eat good food. The good food of the Bible. You want to sit under faithful teaching of the Bible. You want to ensure that you are active in the local church and that you are under leaders in the church who are accountable to God and his church. You want to know your leaders well so that you can pray for them and spend time with them. And you want them to know you really well and speak truth to you when you need to hear it because you know your eternal soul is at stake. This is what true followers of Jesus desire. They want to not just grow, but they want to grow healthily, spiritually, don't they? And of course, if that's not your desire, then you're not a true sheep. You're not a true follower of Jesus. That's the point, isn't it? You're still living in darkness. And Jesus wants 
you to repent of sin and surrender your life to him. So, because if you don't, you suffer in hell forever. What's interesting about sheep is that even if sheep go astray, the shepherd searches after them. All of us at one point have wandered after wrong things and false teaching, even after coming to know Jesus. But God's spirit is always there, pulling us back, helping us, encouraging us to find and be among God's people. But if we have no even such desires at all, then, then we are not sheep, we are wolf. We are baby wolves, really, right? With the wolf pack leading the charge, as it were. And we need to repent. We need to come to true faith in Jesus because we do not want to suffer this everlasting condemnation. Now, some of you here are true followers of Jesus. And you have heard me just warn you this morning. We, says, we focus on this issue of false teachers. Jesus is saying, beware of false teachers. And you're asking, well, what do I then do, actually? I know, fine, I'm, I'm in the church. I hope there's no wolf down there talking to me, right? <laughs> I said, well, so, um, but how do I keep myself? How do I obey this in practice? I think you must start with confession before God, actually. Every response to any sermon starts with repentance. You must come before, even, even, even for believers, because you must come before God and admit that you have not always taken this danger of false teaching seriously. My guess is that if you are like me before I was studying this, you have tended to focus on false teachers, who te people who teach wrong things. You have not realized the other side, that Jesus actually focuses on people who do not live what they teach. And so you need to take that seriously, that you have not taken false teaching seriously. And you need to repent. You have not taken the danger of it seriously. It's good you don't take it seriously. But you have not taken the danger of it seriously. You know you do not warn family and friends about the damage that false teachers are doing to their lives. Your friends, perhaps, who are reading the wrong stuff or are falling into some serious, strange teachings, and you do not warn them. You, you know that there are times when you do not pray for them as you should. You know, sometimes you see people in false teaching and you look down on them rather than weep with them. We all have these thoughts in life. And as believers, we need to repent of them. You know you do not always take loving interest in other believers to ensure you are best placed to guard them. And how do we do that? By knowing them, inviting them in our lives so we can speak truth to them. You know you don't always do that. I know I don't always do that. And I need to repent of that. I need to confess that. And I need to come before God not only to confess it, but to ask God to forgive my sin. So you need to tell him, that you now realize that false teachers are, are really out to deceive, destroy, and damn us all in hell. And you're asking God to help you ensure that you guard yourself and others around you. And then thank God, thank God, that thanking God is vital. Thank God that because Jesus has died for you, you are always safe in his arms. Thank God that he has given you a new heart, that you are sheep. Yes, false teachers can deceive you from time to time, but Jesus will keep you safe in his arms. Thank Jesus for his protective arms. Ask him to give you a love for the Bible to hear him. You know, you know, you pray to Jesus that you should not close your mind to the alert system. The Bible is important. It's the way you are alerted to this. thing. So ask Jesus to give you a love to open the Bible, to study it. You know, the Bible is not just a group of facts. That's God talking to us. Hear the master's voice. Ask Jesus to give you that love to hear him speak to us. 
Ask for that love, not just to study it for yourself, but to study it for others. Ask Jesus to give you a love to be. Come to midweek Bible meetings to study scripture together. And ask Jesus, right, to give you a love for prayer. Ask Jesus to help you to grow in prayer. You see, detecting truth from error, false teachers from sound teacher, is spiritual warfare. The devil wants, you to, dece- wants to deceive you. So are you going to stand up to the devil? Well, ask Jesus to help you pray for discernment and to be prayerful. And remember, you cannot guard yourself from false teachers alone. You need other believers. Protection from false teachers is a church project. It's a community project. So if you are not baptized, get baptized and genuinely belong to the life of the church. Commit yourself to the life of the church. And if you are baptized and become a church member, be actively involved to ensure that this church is being held to account. Those who teach here that you can hold them to account. Don't just be a consumer, right? <laughs> be interested in have clear avenues that the church has devised for you to hold me to account. Of course, you can always, you know, give me a call and put me by the air or whatever. But belonging to the church really is, is vital in that. And if you are already a church member, can I encourage you? To be genuinely committed, open your life up to others. There are people around us, around you, who need your shepherd-like protection. So I would encourage you to open your life up, ask questions of people, invite others into your life so they can ask you a question. Because the dangers that the false teachers face, and I didn't go into it, are dangers that all of us face even as ordinary Christians. Don't we all suffer from some hypocrisy? Don't we all have the love for the world? Don't we all show some of these traits? Well, I don't want to go into that. But my point is, you need others to help you in that. I guess what I'm saying is, do not stay on the outside vulnerable to the wolves. Come inside. Stay safe with the people of God here. Beware of false teachers. Amen.